Talk Herdy to Me. Taking a deep dive into Border Collies and other herding breeds, helping you play to their strengths, minimize their weaknesses, and understand their quirks. Listen in to learn for leading training and behavior experts on how to set your dog up for success, understand your urban herder more, and hit those training goals. Hello and welcome back to Talk Herdy to Me, where we help you play to their strengths, minimize their weaknesses and understand their quirks. Today we have the wonderful Claire Ross with us. Claire specializes in helping lungy and barky dogs. She also has shared her life with a couple of deaf collies. Um, Claire has been working within the dog training organizations and involved within rescue dogs since 2010, while also studying for canine behavior degree and has given Claire a very practical combination of skills and theoretical knowledge. She particularly enjoys working with and seeing the changes in dogs who struggle around other dogs. Claire also volunteers as a trainer with Dog Aid, which is assistance in disability, supporting owners who wish to train their dogs to support them. Claire has fostered several dogs for rescues over the years, helping to support them find their forever home. She's also had a few failed rescues. Um, who have managed to stay with her forever. Claire regularly takes part in different dog sports with her own dogs, including scent work, agility, hoopers and gun dog training, along with enjoying passing knowledge on to her clients. So hello, Claire. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to talk all things deaf dogs or deaf border collies because we're talking herding dogs. Yes, we're talking herding dogs and we're talking deaf herding dogs today. Yep. So I thought it would be really nice sort of for you to introduce your own dogs because you've had a couple of dogs that were deaf um, and I thought it could be a really nice starting point for you to introduce Bino and Scouty. Yes, I'll tell you a little bit about Bino first um, because he was the first, my first introduction to living with a deaf dog um, but he was slightly more challenging because he was deaf and blind. Um, so Bino came as a foster dog to start with. Um, 2011, I think he came. He was abandoned, tied up outside um, the KC Stadium in Hull. Um, and he was brought into the rescue by the dog warden. Uh, so I worked in rescue at the time. And they said, who would like to foster um, this little white polar bear? Uh, and I was like, me, I will do it. How hard can it be? Mm-hmm. Um, turns out pretty damn challenging. Um, so it, he was deaf. Um, and as I've said, he was blind as well. He also had a few behavior problems that came along with that. So he would spin and he would bark. And he also wasn't toilet trained at the time. And he also had coprophagia. So that meant he would poo eat as well. So <laughs> quite a big challenge to start with. So kind of toilet training took us some time. Learning how to communicate with him took some time. Um, so so yeah, Bino was my first introduction to life with a dog with hearing impairment. Um, then in 2000, and I think it was the start of 2016, um, I was ready to take on another rescue dog and I put feelers out for um, a rescue dog and I, uh, people knew I was happy to take dogs with hearing impairments. Um, so I was put in touch with someone that had recently taken on a border collie puppy. Um, so it'd come in, to, they, they were a rescue organization, but um, 
they'd heard about this collie and it was a friend of theirs who was caring for the collie after um, removing the collie from the farm that it was currently living on where the farmer was ready to, um, how to put this politely? Dispatch. That's one way of putting it. (laughs) Trying to find the right words. Um, So yeah, uh, went to meet Scout, uh, 15 week old bundle of white, cute colliness and he was he had no visual impairments he was just deaf um so then he came home to live with me when he was about 15 weeks old um and yeah easier to live with I think than um Bino um just more of a normal type collie that I was expecting so yeah um Bino the deaf blind dog was um double male so I know um, a lot of your listeners will know what male is in collies and a few of them will probably know what um, double male is as well. So breeding two males together. So he was predominantly white. He had a little black patch, tiny black patch on his nose, little black patch on his um, bum. But other than that, he was completely white um, and his visual impairment was um, microphthalmia, which means tiny tiny eyes um so his eyes were kind of sunk into um, the back of his sockets and they um as he um got older the eyes just kind of gradually um got smaller and smaller and smaller so it meant he had he had no vision really we think he could see bright sunlight but there was nothing really that we could communicate or nowhere we could communicate with him um, and then scout is predominantly white he has a couple of large like three or four large black patches on his body so that's kind of just to give you an idea of what they looked like so yeah that is scout and yeah Bino. so um obviously within collies deafness can be attributed to obviously sometimes you do just get um a a border collie that's born deaf um for no obvious reason um however there is obviously like you mentioned certain things that can contribute or impact um, the hearing of collies, such as double mill, which is where two mill parents are bred together to create a dog, which is um, also described as lethal white, which is where they have yep. excessive white. Um, you have obviously double mill, you have dogs with excessive white, which can be again either double mill or you have other genes such as piebald or white face and things. And then you also have early onset deafness, which is a genetic condition, which is within the breed. Um, does Scout have any of these or was he just born? So Scout was. Um born deaf and I suspect it is linked to the to the um that lack of pigmentation um Mm. so his face I'm looking at him now actually to look at his face but his face uh, his whole head area is predominantly white as he's grown there's kind of some black pigmentation that's come through on his ears and his face but I'm suspecting his deafness is related to um that lack of pigmentation and I do not understand the science the exact science behind how all that works um, in terms of um, why that excessive white pigmentation, how how it's linked to deafness. Um, But I know that it is, and I suspect in both boys, that's what it was. Yeah. And there's also, there's misconceptions as well that dogs with blue eyes, because Scouty has blue eyes, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, But that is linked to blindness because both my dogs are wall-eyed. They both have one dark coloured eye and one white or lighter coloured eye, so blue eye. Um, But there's a misconception a lot with collies that if you have two blue eyes that they could be blind or they could be deaf. But I don't think there's any link there, is there really? Um, So with the blue eyes, I've fostered um, a deaf 
border collie um, as a puppy as well. And what he had was, I don't know if you've heard of starburst pupil. Yes. Yes. So for him, um, he had the blue irises, but he also had the starburst pupil. So I think where there's that condition, I think that can limit their vision somewhat. Yeah, um, that's where the is, black bit in the middle sort of funny. Yeah, yeah, it's like a little star. Rather than being a solid round um, yeah. orb, um, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like a starburst, isn't it? Um, and I think that can have an impact on vision. I don't know to what extent, um, but that might be some. And I don't know if that's specific to just the blue eyes or they can have that in brown eyes as well. I'm not sure on that one. I yeah. did find when I was doing a little bit of research, a paper um, from, I know we weren't going to go all sciencey or anything like that, <laughs> <laughs> but um, there is a paper um, from, and I've got it here, 2011. And it looks specifically at um, deafness and pigmentation in border collies um, yeah. and it did it was basically the researchers um, collected data from border collie litters that were brought in for bear testing yeah. so where they uh, were testing the hearing of um, litters and one of the things they did look at was um, dogs that had two brown eyes dogs that had uh, two blue eyes and dogs that had one of each and I think they found I'm just looking at the results now dogs that had the two blue eyes there were deafness was more prevalent in those dogs so it's not necessarily that the blue eyes caused the deafness but they were more likely to be deaf if they had the the blue eyes um I'll send you the link for the paper so you can add it if anyone's interested I'll put it in the show yeah Yeah. Yeah. So obviously you've had deaf and blind and deaf dogs. Now, what would you find is, obviously they're both quite different. What would you find that is the hardest thing to having a deaf dog versus the hardest thing to having a deaf blind dog? Um, so for me, I had the deaf blind dog first. So when Scout came along, it didn't feel like he was such a challenge to communicate with. And, in, you know, um, as long as he was looking at me, I, I could, you know, give him the hand signals and things like that. But with Bino, who was deaf and blind, the challenge came with how do we effectively communicate with this dog? How, how do we help him navigate the world? Um, so for him, it was he used his sense of smell quite a lot. So he would find, you know, um, find his way around um, kind of um, using his sense of smell. If we were downwind from him. We've just had the postman come. I do apologise. Okay. Do you want to just start from the last bit? We started with the sense of smell. One sec. So with Bina, um, his sense of smell was one of the ways that we could communicate with him. As long as we were downwind and smelly enough, he could (laughs) find us in the garden or in a field that he was in and find his way back to us. Um, Tactile communication was really important. Um, So um, and it was really good for training him as well. So double tap on the bum means sit down. Double tap on the chest means lie down. A stroke under the chin, chin meant stand up a tap on either shoulder meant orientate towards me that way so there were ways that we could communicate with him that way his memory was fantastic 
He could navigate his way around the house and the garden. He could run up and down stairs, no problem, without fear, unfortunately. Um, so that was kind of how we learned to communicate with Bino. Um, with Scout, though, um, it was kind of as you might expect and how you might train um, normal hearing dogs anyway. So there was a lot of um, visual signals, so just hand signals. Um, recall was just a motion towards us with a hand, a sit hand going up in the air, down, hand going down on the ground. Um, for those people that are into using markers or clicker training, um, I used a hand flash. So um, hand in a closed fist, fist open out fast and then close it again. And that was what we used as a marker um, so that I could uh, can use some kind of marker training with him. Um, the challenge always with the deaf dog is that they have to be looking at you to be able to um, for you to be able to communicate with them. So it's also useful to have some tactile um, communication as well. So like a tap on the shoulder or if he's on lead, like a, a double tug on his collar means reorientate to me. So it's not used in the way where I'm kind of trying to say to him, you will look at me in a, a really hard tug. It's yeah. just being conditioned using positive reinforcement that when I do a double tug, that means kind of pause, reorientate to me, and then I'm going to give you another instruction. So it's probably similar things to what most people do, but you're just kind of always aiming to get that eye contact onto you so that you can give them the next signal or cue. Yeah. So obviously we've started to talk a little bit about how you would train a deaf dog. Um, but uh, we were working with a deaf collie. Um, you may know Anubis um, through the deaf Yeah, Rosie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he came to one of our workshops and it was really interesting watching them work together. I think she did thumbs up for a, a, a mark mark yep. um, type thing um, instead of the hand flash and it was really interesting watching how they communicated and she was sort of this, uh, discussing how that she created the environment to be cues to look at her so she was building this natural um, orientation game where if he saw something in the environment that meant check in yeah um, which was really interesting so is this something that you did with your own dogs uh heck of a lot yes um checking in for a deaf collie is it's going to be a lifesaver um and I remember one time I stupidly didn't shut the crate door at the back of the car and I was parked up near yeah I was parked up near a road and I hadn't realized um, it just the, the latch just hadn't caught and Scout had got out, jumped out of the car, and I'd turn around to see him start to head towards this road, which I don't think was too busy at the time. But because we'd spent such a long period of time reinforcing him for turning and checking in and turning and checking in, um, he managed to turn before he got there, looked for where I was, and I could give him my recall straight away. So things like that are an absolute lifesaver. Um and, you know, being able to take him into different environments and have him, you know, be aware of what's going on. So noticing things, but know, you know, that he's regularly going to check in with me mm. um, makes life so much easier for kind of working and living with um, a dog with a hearing impairment. Um, and he was um, a little bit of a car chaser when he first came as a puppy. Um, so we spent time as well working on that check-in to start with and then trying to work on it with you know cars at a little bit of a distance and and kind of working on those kind of things with him as well so yeah definitely check-in with a deaf dog is top of the 
top of the list one of the first things I work on with them when they come to me it's something that I always think that um, we with hearing dogs don't do enough of in terms of we do rely on the fact that we can grab their attention by saying their name or blowing a whistle yeah. or whatever. So I think sometimes having a deaf dog would make you a better trainer and would make the training of a better level because you don't have the fallback of being able to go, Aoife, come, or whatever you have to know and be 100% confident in your training and what you've done with them. And I think, like I say, people could take um, a book out of deaf dog owners, um, a leaf out yeah. of dog owners' books in terms of the, the level of training that you do with the dogs, just so that they can be safe and happy. And I know because you have scout off lead, don't you? And I think that's a big thing for a lot of people is when they have a deaf dog, they're like, well, they can never go off lead. We can't teach them a reliable recall. But you've done that through a lot of this type of stuff, haven't you? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, he's a border collie and and border collie owners will know that they need physical exercise. They need to run. They need to explore um, all of that stuff and being able to safely let them off lead and be able to whether that's on a long line or kind of having that extra precaution there but certainly for him being able to give him the freedom to run and explore um I think that you know that's one of meeting one of his fundamental needs now that doesn't mean I'm going to go and do that near a main road or I'm going to go and necessarily do that in a place that I've never been before and I don't know where I am. So in some places we might still have a long line on or, you know, um, but in the fields around me where I know them um, uh, and we'd have a lead on around sheep at all times, always just going to caveat that in there. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly being able to give him that freedom, that is so important as well. And just jumping back to the point you made about kind of, owners with dogs with normal hearing teaching kind of check-ins and things like that one of my older dogs is um cocker spaniel but her hearing's going mm. her, she's 12 years old so her hearing starts starting to deteriorate so I'm you know I've always taught her with whistles and vocal cues and things like that she can't hear me anymore <laughs> so what I've got to do is kind of look and think okay what would I do well I'll just train her like she was a deaf dog so I think there's there's value in you know what would you do if your dog didn't have any hearing and mm. thinking about it from that point of view and doing some training because maybe at some point your dog's hearing is going to go and you're not able to call them or give them the cues that you normally would verbally yeah and this is this is quite a poignant point in terms of our old boy basil he was a body terrier he was about 15 when he died um and towards the end he was stone deaf and it took my mum quite a while to get that in her head so she would still call him she'd be like Basil come on and he had no way of hearing her and we kind of had to work through certain things so one of the things that Basil struggled was was his startle response when he was woken um so because he was obviously an older boy he slept a hell of a lot of the time um and like the thing certain things like his breakfast or his tea we'd have to go wake him up um, but if you kind of just put your hand on him, he would literally jump out of his skin. He would have the fright of his life. And um, so we worked on different sort of strategies that worked to get him to rouse from his sleep. So he wasn't just having that massive startle sort of response. Um, and we had to work on things such as um, scratching the floor in front of his nose and then blowing gently on his ears and things like that. And that would sort of work him slowly. Rouse him gently, yeah. Yeah, rather than just getting that that um, startle response. And he used to, I once remember we were, 
walking and he used to always walk at your foot. He always used to walk just at the edge of your heel. He never really went off and did anything in his older years. He just, he kind of might have a sniff, but then he'd, he'd always be a couple of feet just off the back of your heel. It was never very far unless he caught whiff of a rabbit. <laughs> um, but the thing is with him, he would still chase a rabbit if he got opportunity to it. He was a terrier. Um, and he, um, once, as long as he knew where you were, he, you could wave at him and he would come back. So we'd kind of worked on the wave as his recall. Um, but the thing was, his eyes were going at this point, And if he looked around and couldn't see you, he'd almost panic and run. Yeah. Um, and we we were once down in the valley and we were at the top of the valley and he saw this rabbit. And he ran down the hill and I was like, oh, bloody hell, he's not going to see us. So I started running down after him and he saw me. But because I was running, he thought I was running. So then he sets off running. Yeah. So there's me running after this dog trying to catch this 15 year old geriatric terrier who's pelting it thinking I'm running so he should run. Uh, eventually when we got to the bottom of the valley it must have been a good mile that we ran um I grabbed him and he was like oh yeah sorry and I, just, and I waved at him again and I was like, follow me and I had to trudge all the way back up my mum was like well why didn't you just call him I was like mum he's deaf he can't hear, he can't you. hear me yeah, yeah. Um, and it was something but mum always said that until the day when he died she, she always just said that I used to speak to him all the time. I used to say goodnight to him and things like that. Although he couldn't hear her, mm. it's it's little things like that that you don't sort of realise that you do or that you reply, rely on so much. And and to be fair, I will talk to Scout, even though he's deaf, I'll talk to Scout. When people meet Scout and I tell him and I tell them he's deaf, they'll immediately start talking to him and shy, you know, saying things to him. And it's like, it's just what we do with dogs. Yeah. And I don't, I wouldn't necessarily want to change that because with that talking, you know, the facial features and the smiling and there's all that involved in it. Yeah. And I don't necessarily want to take that away. So I, yeah, I still, I still talk to him. The benefit is though, you know, if he's not that he ever would be, but if he's doing anything that I'm not quite okay with, and I can, you know, I can happily swear at him and he has no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, Aoife does get called some ch- few choices, <laughs> but in a very positive way. Yeah. So she doesn't know, do you? Um, so what do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions of owning or training a deaf dog? Um, I think, one of them was one that we've already discussed about you can't take your deaf dog off the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think we've talked that one through now and that actually, yes, you can. There needs to be a certain level of training in place and you need to consider where you're letting your deaf dog off lead because we need to consider the safety of that dog. But yeah, we certainly can let them off lead um, some deaf dogs off lead. I think um, one of the nice things as well is nowadays there's more like secure dog fields and things like that that are opening up which is opening doors for dogs who potentially are giving people a safe space to practice Practice, yeah having their dog off lead off a long line yeah with with the safety of knowing actually no they can't just run they they, they have to stop eventually at a fence absolutely Um, so it's a a nice way to proof your training and test your training and you know I've got kind of four or five around me and I you know if I needed to I can proof at those different venues as as a way to test okay now am I ready to try this out in the real world yet and it might be yes and it might be no um I think the other misconception that I don't know that it's necessarily as prevalent as it was but that deaf dogs are more likely to be aggressive than um hearing dogs um that that kind of used to be a bit of a myth that was around for um quite a long period of time but there was some research done 
oh, it was a good few years ago now um, by Farmer Dugan et al. that found um, that deaf dogs weren't more likely to be aggressive than hearing dogs. So, you know, those of us that earn deaf dogs have been saying it for a long time. Yep, that's not the case. But now we've got some some evidence to support what we've been saying. So, yeah, deaf dogs are not more likely to be aggressive than hearing dogs. I think that that's the be interesting to see question. where that that's come from. Um, as to obviously it's obviously come from somewhere yeah I think it kind of um, the people thinking that if you wake a deaf dog up they're more likely to startle and maybe bite you um, mm-hmm. if you basically I think it comes from startling or scaring a deaf dog and maybe that means that they're they're more likely to um, use aggression um, that's what I think but I could be completely wrong um, but yeah we don't have to worry about that Um no, and I suppose it's it's not like, for example, Basil, who became deaf. Um, a lot of these dogs will have been deaf from the get-go. They will have never known anything different. Absolutely, um, yeah. Piper, who's my youngest, um, her breeder bred a litter of puppies and she had one deaf puppy. And I remember we used to go in and see the puppies because every time she had puppies, I always go up and spend a lot of time there because puppies, why not? Um, and we used to go in and literally all the puppies would wake up and run to the front and Lotte, she was called Lotte, used to be in the teeniest, tiniest little ball right at the back of the room. And we discussed for a long time, we were like, do you reckon she's deaf? Oh, no, she mustn't be deaf. Because there were certain things where it was, it was finding that, whether because certain times she'd respond to stuff. Yeah. Um, and you'd be like, oh, well, she's responded to that. She's or is it just a coincidence that she just happened to respond when that happened? Or is she following yeah. um, the puppies? Yeah. Sort of, it, it was about 12 weeks old because Ellie kept her because she was a bit unsure and things like that so she was like I'm gonna keep her uh, I want to sort of see where she, what happens um and it was about she's about 12 weeks old when, when it was finally they got the diagnosis that she was deaf um but it was just it sometimes it can be quite difficult to sort of because dogs are very clever and they feed off a lot of what other dogs do and your body language and things like that and, yeah they copy um, they learn context say so yeah they and it, where you've got multiple dogs together so you've got a litter of puppies it's not always obvious if they're just doing the same thing at the same time and or you know you have a breeder that's not with the puppies a lot of the time they're going to miss that they're not necessarily going to see it so um there's probably many cases of or from what I've seen on social media there's many cases where owners have got the puppy only to discover that they're deaf later on down the line yeah um and this was the thing we like obviously she we had our suspicions and the main giveaway was the sleep was because when she was up and about she was like any other puppet she would follow you she'd follow her little mate you couldn't tell any difference really um however it was the sleep thing that every time we would go in or we would go and see the puppies and if they were asleep all the other puppies would get up and move towards us whereas she would stay at the back asleep and you kind of have to go and and touch her and wake her up but other than that um if obviously Ellie goes and sees her puppies a lot and so she was seeing it on a regular basis but like you said if it's a breeder who isn't spending as much time little stuff like that would quite easily go missed yeah um so yeah it's quite a prevalent one and I think it's quite not understandable as to why it can be missed but you can kind of see where that comes from especially if they're um farm bred or something like that where they're outdoors and they're not being in the house and observed and spending as much time with people as puppies who are raised in the home absolutely um, yeah if that makes sense and then that can be quite a a shock for the new owner if they weren't expecting it and there are there's some really good resources out there now for um 
people that have uh, or just suddenly discovered they've got a deaf dog or knew they were getting a deaf puppy or adopting a deaf dog. So there's um, places like the deaf deaf dog network. Yeah. Um, so there's a Facebook group um, and they give lots and lots of support to owners that have deaf dogs. Um, and that's from kind of basic training advice like we've talked about the check-ins communicating with the dogs um finding trainers that might support them um there's some really good trainers now as well that have lots of experience with deaf dogs as well that are um able to kind of either support the owner or support other trainers with supporting the owner as well um and there's obviously us well connected canine we um more i guess my um business partner she's done lots of articles on deaf dogs she did a lot for the pet professional guild i think it was so writing in their magazine lots of articles and handouts um so if any anyone listening to the podcast wants those i can make those available to you as well you also Ellen. have um an online course um, yeah more i could put a course together for as well. yeah for um and I can kind of give you the link as well so if you want to put that with the podcast anyone can find that as well um so um multi-dog households with a deaf dog living with a deaf dog so all kind of little modules that can either be you know if you're looking for something specific like communicating with a deaf dog you can just do that module or if you want to learn all about the deaf dogs then you could do the whole the whole course together i'll make that available um for you as well and so you can yeah that on. um because that's one of the things it's, it's it's finding resources when you have a dog like this because it can a lot of um trainers will not have experience with working with deaf dogs um so it's finding someone who is either a willing to learn or b has experience Absolutely. and then knowing where you can find a supportive group such as the deaf um, dog networks um I know a couple of people that are in that and they said it's a really supportive group and it's it's kind of somewhere where you can um vent or it's a safe space yeah, yeah it's, it's, um, ex- explain your issues or your anger because it can be quite a difficult period I guess and especially if you've thought you've bought a perfect puppy and then all of a sudden it turns out that they're not because yeah. you've always had yours from rescue or failed fosters yeah um, Whereas I mean, a lot of people, if you sort of buy a dog, you expect you have certain expectations, don't you? Yeah, and I think a lot of people, it's it's a shock for them, and they kind of go through a period of panicking um, because there is a lot of those myths probably still out there, and a lot of information out there. So f- to be able to direct them to find good, useful information, supportive information, I think that's so beneficial, especially in. They're dealing with all the normal puppy stuff, which we know is stressful anyway. Life with puppies is hard enough. And then on top of that, they've kind of got this this extra um, challenge for them of, okay, my puppy's deaf. Now what do I do? Ah, this is, you know, I wasn't expecting this. And and being able to find that support, I think, is really important as well. And, And what I don't know at the minute is whether there are more deaf dogs being born or whether now we don't you know the people breeding that might have a deaf dog in the litter now that there is that information out there and that support out there are more likely to find a home for that deaf dog so uh, I, I don't know the figures and I don't know the numbers of how much more um deaf dogs are, are born now than were previously um but yeah there's there's Another- still sort of thought around it would be as well in terms of whether it sounds quite harsh 
whether the breeders are keeping those dogs alive or those puppies alive um, in terms of obviously I know in the old days if puppies were born with deformities or illness or for example deafness and things they would be killed um, yeah, the, the word they would use is culling yes they would call them, call them um, yeah. and one quite um, prominent thing is my my sister she one of my friends bred a litter of shoreline cockers and within the litter there was one with a cleft palate now my sister took on that dog um squiffy she's called squiffy she has a squiffy face she's called squiffy she's brilliant um she's had surgeries she's all fixed and she's she's like a normal dog now but traditionally those dogs wouldn't have necessarily been kept they would have been culled yep. so maybe it may be um that the dogs that potentially would have been culled because there is more information out there or they're seeing that there could potentially be homes for these dogs i think they're, you're they're right yeah i think breed breed clubs and breed organizations as well have changed their stance on that as well where the recommendation years ago might have been to take those puppies you know out of out of those lines um actually the recommendation is now you know if those puppies are born we know that they can find good homes and we know the support is out there for them so I think breed clubs have changed um, their stance on find you know keeping yeah. those puppies alive because they, they can go on to live amazing lives live, live the lifespan of a, a hearing dog and um, have good quality of life which is the important thing isn't it yeah and you also have some added bonuses because obviously sound sensitivity can be quite a big issue within no culture. problem with fireworks here <laughs> yeah you have no issues so, although there's always those silver lining points to it where yeah. if you've had a dog in the past that has had severe um, sound phobias or sound sensitivities really struggled with bonfire night and things like that you will not have those issues with yeah. death that, um just jumping back to talking about my colleague um morag um that was one of her she also had uh deaf dogs and she's um got deaf visually impaired dogs kind of similar to me and she had a, her first um border collie was really sound phobic so he was really worried about thunderstorms and fireworks so she wanted to add a second collie um, and one of her criterias were I can't have another border collie that struggles in the in the same way that Finn does um, so and that's how she got Farah um, she found that you know the the deaf six-month-old um, border collie um, that was never going to have an issue with noises um yeah. so yeah yeah and I think so. like I think it's really nice in terms of you you've kind of proven that a lot of these dogs can have normal lives and they're just as good as a hearing dog and um, you just have to change your approach to training yeah. but it doesn't necessarily make it harder it's just a little bit different yeah um, and um scout has done um a bit of hoopers he's done um agility um, we have a few sheep here three sheep um that will not be herded although scout runs around and thinks he's the greatest herder in the world so it's you know we can still do all of those activities and we can still have those dogs live a fulfilled life um and there's you know there's lots of deaf border collies in the agility world that are doing really well I think um 
is it one mind agility um, who run kind of online courses and things like that their handling system was kind of developed because of a deaf dog um, and having to handle that dog differently so yeah it's just you have to you know adapt and you kind of work with the dog that's in front of you but yeah that's not different to a hearing dog but yeah like well like I said we had Anubis who is um deaf come on to uh, one of our workshops and he did sheet balls and he did incredibly well at it we even used him as a demo dog because he was just fantastic and it was really interesting to sort of see because he I felt he was a lot more aware of body language than some of the other dogs and it was really interesting just to see how movement in your shoulders and things like that really impacted him whereas some of the other dogs you needed to do slightly bigger movements because they weren't as in tune he'll be watching for it all the time and looking at Rosie for you know where is she there's tiny kind of almost micro movements that she does and him being aware of them and and I know that Rosie is also probably the same and looking for those tiny movements or changes in him as well so you're it's kind of a really nice relationship that you build and you have a dog with a hearing impairment because you are really having to watch so closely and they're also watching you so closely as well so yeah it's it's so interesting Oh, that's so lovely. It is so lovely. Almost making me want to to go and rescue a deaf collie. <laughs> Although I, I don't think Jack would put up with any more. <laughs> yeah. I'm on my limits. Yes. <laughs> no, you know, there's always room for a small one. Yeah, yeah only a man. dinky one. They're not that yeah. big anyway, are they collies? Mine aren't anyway. Uh, yeah. Mine are teeny. Mm-hmm. Little dinky beans. So thank you so much for coming on um, today. I've really enjoyed talking to you about all things deaf deaf dogs deaf collies um you we're going to put some links to some of the um articles that were uh, and the courses and things which you guys deliver um along with a link to the deaf dog network in the show notes so that anybody can find those resources um should they need them and you can um take it from there so thank you so much for coming on really appreciated it Um, thank you for having me and letting me talk all things deaf border collie brilliant fabulous okay see you guys next week